if you didn't know what that was all about, is um, the past few years, we've always done kind of trunk or treat, and we'd have it down here on the corner lot, and, and uh, people would decorate their trunks. We have candy, and the neighborhood kids would come, and, and so forth. And so one of the things uh, we no started noticing was we started having a harder time getting people who would uh, bring their cars and decorate, because they were going out into their communities, and we began to realize, hey, that's what we should be doing. We, we need, as a church, because we are the church, we need to be going out in the community and building relationships and building relationships with our neighbors and with our community. And, and, and the purpose of that is as we begin to build relationships, we invite people to hear the message of the good news of Christ, right? So that we were once a people, the humanity, who was bound by the the, the clutches of, and the chains of, of sin and iniquity that we could no longer in any way approach God. In unrighteousness, we were bound. In unrighteousness, we could not dig out of that, out of that hole. And yet God in his mercy and his grace towards us had his son step into our world. And as his son stepped into our world, he was calling people to himself that all who would believe would be set free, that would be forgiven of their trespasses, that there might now be a right relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's a message that we have. And as we go out into the community, as we, as we get those opportunities to build those relationships, part of the reason we build those relationships is in order to communicate that message of hope and that message of good news to those around us. So it's really, it's really a kind of a neat thing. So Thursday night, we had um, a lot of some of our small groups and different groups, they met together at their houses. I, I know a couple of groups, they, they just put out their fire pit and did s'mores and so kids could come along and they could cook s'mores. I thought that was, that was such a cool idea, you know? You just, and you, what are you doing? You're getting them to stop and they're cooking s'mores. You get to have a conversation and meet a neighbor that maybe you hadn't met before and, and maybe build a relationship. And then the other thing that's really important that we as a church, we need to be praying. We need to be praying for our community. We need to be praying for those folks that we met last Thursday night and, and that as we build those relationships, we need to pray for them. In fact, over the next three or four weeks, the subject we're gonna be talking about is prayer. I'm gonna be walking us through a series on prayer. Prayer is everything. Absolutely everything in the Christian life. Prayer is everything. And you're gonna hear me say that multiple times, and if I don't say it, in fact, I can't say it enough, that we would etch in our minds the reality of how important prayer is in our lives. In fact, in your handout, when you came in this morning, you got a little handout, kind of a blue uh, card stock. Uh, this is not my sermon outline this morning, so relax. Uh, that was my sermon outline, uh, front and back. We'd be here until next Sunday, which would be fine. I mean, I would have a lot of fun with that, but, but that is not the purpose of this. One of the things that I want to be able to do as a body of believers is to challenge us about prayer. And one of the things that you need to be aware of is there is a discipline that comes with prayer of understanding this, what the scripture says about prayer, that God's inviting us to pray. He, he wants us to come before him and pray. And I know when we begin to talk about prayer, you're probably gonna be like, like I was when I felt like the Lord led me into this study is like, um, you, know, you start feeling guilt, you start feeling shame, like I don't pray enough. Hey, don't, don't turn what God is saying to you through his spirit today into guilt and shame. That isn't the intent. 
The intent is that it would encourage us, as I have been encouraged, that it would encourage us to pray that God is inviting us, the God who is from everlasting to everlasting, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who is beyond imagination, full of glory and majesty, and who is full of love and compassion and mercy. He is inviting us to pray. Wow, what an opportunity. So I want us to, to see and be encouraged about prayer, but sometimes prayer we, we, we struggle with it. We wonder about those things. So I put it together, just a, a small sampling of prayer in the scriptures, looking at some of the prayers that Christ prayed, looking at some of the prayers of the early church. So I'd encourage you maybe over the next couple of weeks to maybe look at these passages and pray through them and, and study them and see what the, the scripture says about them. There's some scriptures as well, just about prayer in, in, in regards to the early church and some of the things they faced. Face. Then on the back side, I have a list of 11 prayers that you can actually find in the scriptures where they were praying. Apostle Paul, some of, some of the Old Testament saints who prayed prayers that had to do with their nation. Some of them had to do for the church. Some of them had to do with different subjects. But there's 11 prayers that I list right here in this, in this, on this back side. Now in the scriptures, there's 650 prayers in the scriptures. And, is, and I, I didn't count them all. I, I read that somewhere. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking them probably about, maybe I should approximately. And so we only grabbed 11. And I think these are really 11 good ones that you can read and study. And then in the last part on the back, back side as well is I listed some books, just really four books. There's a lot more out there. This is an exhaustive list. Every one of us should have a book on prayer, at least one. We, we, need, to be, we need to be reading encouraging ourselves, uh, studying about other people who prayed. I love George Mueller. I love his life of prayer that he had. Um, he, he, he never passed an offering plate. He only prayed and trusted God. And you read story after story after story. Or one time they didn't have, they didn't have a food for dinner at the orphanage. And so the, he sat down and they thanked God and, and, a, and a milk truck out front broke down and, and brought milk. And another guy came along and said, hey, I can't deliver this. I have less leftover bread. Can you take it? And there was their meal for the night. Now, it wasn't steak and potatoes, but God provided, amen? And so learning about prayer, and, the, and it's really important that some of the works here, uh, Ian Bounds is, is one guy I, I, I love. He's an older a writer, he's a 19th century writer, but he has written several works on prayer and every one of them are worth it. That's why I gave you the reference to the complete works of Even Balance. I would encourage you to get it. It's something to, to, to look at and to, and to study. So as we begin, and you're gonna hear this several times, <laughs> prayer is everything. Just as you eat and you breathe to survive physically, you have to pray to survive spiritually. If we're not praying as believers, we're dying spiritually. Someone asked me, he said, man, after the first hour, said, he said, man, I, you know, I have been struggling. It seems like, seems like uh, I guess the devil's keeping me from, from praying and all this. And I said, you know what the danger is? Right now you're dying spiritually. That's what scares me. I, whether the devil's keeping you do it or because you have lack of faith or because, because you just don't think it's important, regardless what's happening is you're dying spiritually. That's how important prayer is everything. Just as eating and drinking to survive physically, we must, we must pray to survive spiritually. It should be just like as we walk and we talk every day. 
Prayer should be something that is a part of our lives every day, something that's taking place. When I was in high school and, and, and thereafter, we used to have these little red boxes. Nowadays, we have the, I don't even see one. I know there's one around here. But the little box, you know, pull down for the fire alarm. Well, in these little boxes, they had this little glass on it. So you couldn't accidentally uh, pull it down and then have a little chain with a little little kind of bar on it. And you take the bar and you break the glass and on the on the on the glass it said in case of emergency break glass and so many times I think that that's how we look at prayer prayer is something like if there's an emergency oh let me go 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 take prayer let me go pray otherwise it's just kind of like on the wall over there and in case I need it and so many times I find that you know something happens and we're going oh god oh god oh god you know we all of a sudden we're running to god in prayer because we see it more associated with the crisis than we do as an activity and as a part of our spiritual life. I heard a story of a pilot. Um, don't know if it's true or not, but I heard the story, so I'm gonna share it, okay? But I heard a story of a pilot who was flying his, his small plane, and <clears throat> he, was about, he was about, he was having some difficulty in his plane, so he he's calls into the tower, and he says to the tower, he says, I'm 300 miles from the airport, I'm out of gas, and I'm descending quickly, please advise. And the tower responded, and the guy said, repeat after me, our Father in heaven. <laughs> I think so many times it's kind of like how we go about prayer. When, it's, when all else has failed, what do we do? We pray. But at the reality is that prayer is important, and it's something that we have to be doing. So we're going to embark upon a journey of prayer over the next four weeks or so. And we're going we're gonna to be identifying some, some markers and, and what I mean by markers is some things that we would know and be aware of about how we should pray. And when we talk about praying, that we would be praying the things that God wants us to pray about. That we would have the, 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 the mental attitude or the, uh, the motive of prayer that aligns ourselves with God. And it's not gonna be an exhaustive um, uh, study of, at all. Um, it's kind of like, you know, when you're, when you're driving down the road, I'm one of those drivers that I like, I want to see everything, right? So I'm driving down the road. I'm like, oh, that's, I like the color on that house. And oh, look at that mountain. It drives my wife nuts. I mean, not as much now or as it did early on. She's kind of used to me, I guess, a little bit. But I'm like, oh, look, there's a deer. I'm doing this, you know, still driving down the road. I just want to try to take in all of the scenery, right? Um, well, this study isn't going to be taking in all the scenery, but we're going to be talking about some of those markers that we need in our lives as we pray, as we seek God in our spiritual walks with him, that we would become a people who are praying, a people of prayer. Uh, prayer changes everything. It changes everything. And the reality is it doesn't so much change everything out there as much as it changes who I am, that I begin to understand and align myself with what God's doing in our world with what God's doing in my life and what God's doing among my family, my friends, and, and those people I work with, that we would become a people of prayer. So we're gonna embark on a journey. So one of the things we're gonna do is we're gonna look at Matthew chapter six. It's the Lord's Prayer, really verses nine through 13. And we're really not gonna get very far into that prayer. But before we do today, what I want us to do, so I want us to stand up. I'm gonna put the passage up here. It's in the ESV version. And I'm gonna have us use this version just so we're all reading the same version. And I want us to stand in reverence and recognizing that this is the word of God. It has, a, has authority. It has um, instruction from our God about how we ought to pray. It guides us. It directs us. And so with 
hearts that are bent towards him, that are reverent towards him. Let us read it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And Father, you are the most high. Father, there is no one like you. There is no one above you. That Father, from everlasting to everlasting, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, full of majesty and glory, that Father, you yourself, you laid out the universe in the palm of your hand. You didn't take instruction for you, Father, are all powerful and full of majesty. And Father, we come before you. We come before you, Father, with humble hearts, with a contrite spirit. Father, we bow our hearts and our knees before you today, for Father, you oppose the proud and you lift up the weak. And so, Father, we find ourselves dependent on you today. And as we pray, God, may you hear our prayers. That, Father, we become a people who are a praying people, a people who pray in the power of your spirit, understanding the impact that it can have on our lives, on our families, on our community, that we might glorify your holy name. That, Father, your spirit today would move among us, your people. And that, Father, you would instruct us about prayer. Father, you would lighten us and you would make known the truths of your word. And that, Father, we would not lift ourselves up, but, Father, we would bow ourselves to you, for you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And to you be the glory, to you be the praise, O God, forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So prayer is, is everything. In Matthew chapter six and verse nine, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, pray like this. And he actually says, pray then like this. Our series is called Pray Like This. We're gonna, we're gonna be looking at this and some other passages and some things that Jesus said about prayer. But in regards to prayer, prayer is everything. So one of the things I did is I looked up some quotes and I'm just gonna bring out about four of them. I had about 25 or 30 and I kind of narrowed it down to these four, four where it talks about, where they're talking about prayer and the importance of prayer and prayer being everything. The first one is Martin Luther, that great reformer. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Let that soak in. That when you talk about prayer and you talk about your life, you talk about existing in Christ, when you're talking about walking with him, it's, it's, it's no more possible to have that relationship with God and not be praying than it is to be alive physically and not, and not be breathing. The prayer is a very essential to we as his people, as believers in Christ. Second quote I had here was one of my favorites. It's Abraham Lincoln. He says, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. I was, took joy in that because, man, how great is it to, 
to have a president, to have spiritual leaders or even community leaders and, and state leaders who, who understand that the biggest thing they need to do is they need to be driven to their knees and they need to pray. The importance of that. In fact, I think in this quote, and I took it out of a, of a section because he goes on and he explains that his own wisdom and even the wisdom of his advisors and his leaders was not sufficient to overcome the things that he was driven to, that his only conviction was he had nowhere else to go than to God. This isn't a pastor. This isn't, this isn't some kind of a spiritual essence leader. This is a, this is a man who lived his life in, in the faith to God in prayer. When he goes on to the third um, quote, this is Oswald Chambers. You may be familiar with him. A lot of times devotionals and so forth. He's written a lot of those. He said this, prayer does not fit for the greater work Prayer is the greater work. I love, this, I love this quote because what he's saying here is so many times we think, oh, we pray to get, to get fit, to get ready for, for, for the great work. And what Oswald Chambers is saying is that prayer is the great work. Prayer is everything. Dear people of God, praying is the key to all we do at Mansfield Bible Church. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. I always am honest with you. I don't know why I say that, but I am gonna be honest with you. There was a conviction in this study for me. And the reality was, is that I don't think I was praying enough. And when I mean praying enough, that, that there's things that come up in the daily activities of my life that I begin to just find myself handling them. You know, and kind of mentioned to God about the situation, but I moved on because you know what I find is that I find myself, I find in myself a, a great safety in just doing the operation, to do the, to do the task at hand. You give me a task, I'm gonna get it done. You don't have to come back and check on me. I'm just gonna get it done because to me, it's just, it's just easy. One, two, three, there, bam, it's done, right? But the reality is that prayer is the greater work. Prayer preps us to serve God and to work in a special way. And then Ian Bounds, who's, who I love, and I really encourage you to get that book of his because he says more about prayer than, uh, that will cause you to think through different things. But his quote goes like this. Prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. I love this quote because he says it not, should not be regarded, regarded as a duty which must be performed. Prayer is not on this list over here on the wall where, okay, 10 things I have to do today to be a good Christian. And one of them is I gotta pray. Prayer is not a duty. Prayer is a privilege. Prayer is an opportunity to meet with the most high God the one who is full of power and majesty and glory. He is inviting us. He's, he's asking us. When Jesus says, pray like this, he's asking the disciples to come in prayer, to be involved in prayer, to meet with the almighty God, to spend time with him. It's a, it's a privilege. And when you pray, it's something that you enjoy because you begin to have a, the rear delight of realizing some things and some new opportunities, new beauties. It's amazing when I genuinely pray over things and I bring them before God. It's happened to me over and over again. And sometimes it's over situations. Like if, I, if I'm having a problem with somebody or if I'm having an issue over a situation, I find that when I begin praying, more times than not as I pray, I find that God does a work in my heart. He begins to rec I begin to recognize the failures in my own flesh. 
And I'm able to deal with those. And there's a beauty in that as, as you begin to realize that God isn't tearing me down. God is building me up. When you begin to realize that God is actively involved in my spiritual relationship with him. But when I'm not praying, guess what I'm doing? I'm dying. God doesn't have the opportunity. I, I only begin to do, I only begin to trust in my own wisdom and in my own thoughts and my own abilities and my own skills. And we need to be driven to our knees knowing that there's no place else to go, that he's the one that we trust. You see, what we're doing when we talk about prayer is it's a very serious thing. What we're doing here this morning is serious. What we're doing here this morning is serious business when we're talking about corporately gathering together and praying when we're hearing his word and we're expecting God to speak to us, when we're, we're expecting God to bring about things in our lives, when we're expecting God to use us to, for his glory and his purposes in the community, it is a serious deal. It's so serious. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, verse eight, Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church and what? Somebody say it. And what? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you think what we're doing is serious? The gates of hell, in fact, I started thinking about that word and it's probably nothing new, but I, it was new for me this week as the Spirit had fun enlightening me about some things. And I started thinking about that gate, you know? A gate, what does it do? It, it keeps things out, right? A gate isn't very aggressive. It's just there. It tries to, tries to keep from things from happening, from coming in. And what does it say? Jesus says, I will build my church and what? The gates of hell isn't gonna stop it. That God was gonna build his church, that Jesus is gonna build his church and there isn't anything that's gonna stop it. Jesus will build his church. And there's not gonna be Satan, there's not gonna be our adversary, there's not gonna be culture, there's not gonna be anything that's gonna keep God from building his church. I don't care what you're hearing or what you're reading out there about the church. We're saying the church is ineffective today, irrelevant in our culture anymore. I don't care what they're saying because I believe in Jesus and he will build his church. And I can be as intelligent as can be. I can be the most creative and gifted person. I can come up with all kinds of attractive ways to try to draw people in. But the way the church is gonna be built is when we pray, dear people of God. Yes, we need a little bit more than that, okay? I know the clock fell back. I know you got plenty of sleep last night, so, you know, we need to get some amens in there. That Jesus is gonna build his church. And dear people of God, we need to start thinking like that. I, when, I, when I really was studying this, I, I was convicted because I started, I started, kept looking at our culture and what the culture is saying about the church. And you know what? Here, let me say this. If what's going on in our culture is the traditions of men are being crumbled, so be it. If some of the, some of the ways that we've, we've always done it that way is crumbling down, then so be it. But this I know, that Jesus will build his church. That there are still people getting saved. There are still people hearing of the grace of God and, and the love of God, and they're receiving him into their lives that there are still people praying, there are still people doing the battle, and that Jesus is still gonna advance the church, and God chooses to use his people who will humble themselves and pray to advance the kingdom. That's, that is an amen, or that's right, or anything like that, okay? 
Come on, people. I get excited over this. You need to get excited. You know what that means? It means when we go out these doors this week, there's nothing we're going to come up against that will, will stand against the power of our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is nothing we're going to face that we can't depend and trust in our God that he won't see us through. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't go through some difficulties, but God is greater than our difficulties. And we as Christians sometimes have gotten to the place where we're more worried about comfort than we are about advancing the kingdom. We're more, com- more worried about where we're gonna retire than we are about that neighbor living next to us that is gonna retire in hell if we don't do something about it and we don't start praying for him. We've got to change the way we're thinking, dear people of God. I want to be a church that impacts our community. And we go out and we do a lot of things like community outreach and feed the kids and, we, and Pomea and the human trafficking. And we do a lot of those kinds of things. And praise God, we need to do those. But dear people of God, if we're not praying, we're wasting our time, aren't we? How is that any different than just a, a non-believer going out and doing good things? Unless we depend and trust and rest in the power of our God who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yeah, that's another amen, by the way. Man, I gotta wake you guys up somehow. Gotta get us somehow excited. Doesn't that, doesn't that get you out of your bed in the morning? Doesn't that get you excited? That we have a God that is gonna accomplish his purposes and he wants to use you. And if we become so distracted with the affairs of life that we don't bring about prayer along and the discipline of prayer, you know what happens? We just die spiritually. We die. And we wonder why the state of the church, we wonder why the the church is losing its effectiveness in this world. And you know what I think it is? This is a bold statement. I just don't think we're praying. Yeah, I know there's churches that are growing and they're busting out the seams and they're doing these things. Maybe they're praying. But dear people of God, we need to be a praying church. We need to be a church. Uh, And when I say church, I don't mean just these walls. I mean you, the people of God. That we need to be a people that are praying, believing and trusting, knowing that God is gonna answer. So anyway, get excited. When he says there in, in, in the chapter, I just, I, I got on a side note. I'm sorry, I'll just admit that for a minute. Um, but I'm really convicted about this. I really am. I think, I, I think that we need to resort to prayer so much, so much more quickly than what we've been doing, dear people of God. And we need to be challenged in that way. So Jesus says in, in verse nine of Matthew six, he says, he says to, to pray like this. And when you look at it in the context, if you really need to understand the context in which he's writing, you go back to chapter six here in verse one, where he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen uh, by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. So we need to understand the context. In the context, Jesus is starting to deal with this idea of what does righteousness look like? If you go back to chapter five and verse 20, back there he he says in, in verse 20 of chapter five, he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that would be destructive for the believers at that time. I mean, think about it. If you're just an average Jew and you're saying, hearing Jesus say, wow, unless I exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, who was more righteous than the scribes? Who was more righteous than the Pharisees of their day? 
And now he's, Jesus is telling me, I have to exceed their righteousness? How is that possible? Because Jesus is starting to deal with the, 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 the motive, or the, 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 the attitude of, of righteousness. He's talking about faith. In fact, when we talk about, we talk about marker, the first marker of, of, of this is, is our faith. You need to understand that when we begin to pray, we have to be a, a people of faith, believing and praying. In fact, Jesus goes on in, in chapter five and verse 20, he, he deals with anger. He says in verse 21 of chapter five, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable uh, to judgment. Well, they all sit around and go, hey, look, I never killed anybody. I, I, I think most of us in this room probably have never killed anybody. So we'd be righteous. But Jesus went, went a little bit further. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Ooh, now we just touched a little close to home, didn't he? Because he's addressing the motives, the why do we do what we do in regards to, to our righteousness. When you talk about righteousness, it's, it's doing what's right. In fact, in uh, verse one of chapter six, the NIV literally says the idea to do what is right. And I like that idea. So when they're looking at what, what they're doing is right, oh, wait a second, it's, it's not just if I murder someone, it's if I'm angry. And then he goes on and he says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Dear people of God, we really need to be careful what we're saying about other people. We're living in a day where we're really critical. I mean, we can throw anything we want out online and be as critical as we want and not held accountable. But yet there is a God in heaven that holds us accountable. We should be careful about what we say about other churches, other believers, other, other people, our neighbors, our leaders. We need to be careful. In fact, he goes on and he says, he says uh, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. I mean, this, this verse has scared me for a long time. I, I'm really careful. I don't call people idiots for a reason because I think of this passage. I, I know we have political division in our country and one side yelling idiots to the other back and forth and yelling. We need to stop that as Christians, dear people of God. We can have disagreements about how we think things should be run, but it doesn't give us a right to call somebody else an idiot. We need to not insult we need not to, to tear down in our words. We need to be careful. And man, all of a sudden, you see what Jesus did? He took this, this measure of righteousness, that thou shalt not commit murder, and he brought it out to the very attitude and the motive within the heart. Where all of a sudden, if I'm angry and I start insulting and I, and I start calling people a fool, an idiot, if we start calling them morons, it, it reveals the attitude of the heart. And he continues on and he lists several examples, not only anger, but then he also talks about lust. He talks about divorce, oaths, retaliation, and love your enemies. He talks about each one of these examples and then he walks into chapter six and verse one and he says, beware of your practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. See, in that day in the Jewish culture, the, one of the ways they defined righteousness or piety or the idea of, of how we looked and how we stood in righteousness before other people, they, they, they looked at how did you give to the poor? How did you pray? How did you fast? And those things came things that they, they did in display for others to show their righteousness. And Jesus is telling them, you be aware, you be on, on guard how you practice your righteousness before others. 
If, you, if, you're, if you're practicing your righteousness in such a way as to, to others show others that others would look on you and go, wow, then, then, then you've got your reward. There's not gonna be any heavenly reward. You got it. You got the recognition of those around you rather than the recognition of God. And, he, and he's warning them about that, that we would understand that. And dear people, God, we all do that. How many times have we, have we done something and you hear someone saying, oh, and so-and-so did this and they get through and they go, well, they didn't mention my name. I was part of it. I had someone in the first hour afterwards saying, you know, there's sometimes when I'm just doing something and I'm doing really good and all of a sudden I, I think, look up, does anybody see that I'm doing? I mean, we all do those kinds of things. It's human nature, right? And Jesus is warning us that we're not to do that. That we're to be aware. In fact, he gives an illustration in verses two through four. He deals with, with giving to the poor. He says in verse two, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, they may be praised by others. So he says, hey, when you do this, when you give, don't sound the trumpets. I remember when I was in high school, we went out to California, our youth group. I was a senior that year and uh, had just really been getting involved the last year or two from, of, the, of the youth group. And so they went to Disneyland. That was real popular back then. There wasn't Disney World. Um, so we went out there to Disneyland. And so we were there on a Sunday, so we went to a church and, and our youth guy and the, and the pastor went with us and they took us to Robert Schuler's church. He was, before he built his glass cathedral and, and also he was raising money and we sat down and there was about 45, 50 of us that went on the trip. And we sat down and there came a point when they had to do their offering. Well, the way they did the offering is up in the front, they had this big box and they just by aisle went down the aisle and they marched you up and you walked by the box and you put in your gift. Well, the thing of it is, it was televised service, so there was a camera sitting there, so everybody that was watching TV would also see how much you could give as you walked right past this box. And I remember the youth pastor was on one side and the pastor on the other, they looked at each other and they go, hey guys, up. And we got up, well, man, we had security people around us. You could, it'd be like in here if all of a sudden, you know, 30, 40 people got up and went out, everybody would quit watching. And they were trying to keep the cameras from, from scanning and seeing all of us leave. They followed us all the way until we got off the parking lot or off the property. Um, you know, hey, don't, don't, don't do it for, don't, don't do it for, for the attention. Let not your left hand or your right hand, that's what he says next know what you're doing or what you're giving. Here's what he says. He says, he says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What they gave, that's it. That's their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your hand, your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will receive you or reward you. I'm sorry. I just realized I think I went past all my notes. So there you go. So, so it's about faith. It's about faith. You see, when you believe that God sees what you're doing, you trust him with the outcome. When you're, when you're not trusting him, you start looking for the outcome among people. When you're praying more in public than you are in pi- private, then you're, you're trusting the recognition of humanity more than the recognition of, of God. You see, when we pray in public, that should only be the fruit of our prayers in private. That we need to spend time as a people who are praying. 
In fact, he goes on in verse five. So he deals with giving to the poor. Now he begins to deal with, with prayer. And he says in, in verse five, he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, Think about what the hypocrite is. The hypocrite is, the, is really the Jewish leaders of this time. And, and he's talking about hypocrites who, who because they are trying to, to act like they're right with God, they're not. They're doing these things that show so that you all would, would say, wow, look how righteous they are. And Jesus said, that's hypocrisy. You see, when we serve God, we serve God because God's called us to serve him. We don't do this because somehow we want to be recognized by people. We serve him because God's called us to do it. God has put it on our hearts and we serve him. And whether the outcome is positive or negative, we trust God with that. It's praying in faith. And so he goes on, he says, when you pray, in verse five, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And really that idea of seeing literally means to shine before others. And when it says they're on the street corners in Jesus' time, they would pray three times a day. And two of those times was, a, it was at 9 a.m. and at 3 p.m. So if you really wanted to look righteous, what would you do? If you were a spiritual leader or you were someone trying to look righteous, well, during that 9 a.m. or that 3 p.m. time, you would be in the most public places so others can see you praying and see your righteousness. And that's why he says on the street corners, don't, don't do that. Don't pray in that way. But what does he say? He says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What they, what they got when letting other people see them, that's their reward. There's nothing more. He says, but verse six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. It's the picture here is that, again, of faith is that when you pray, you pray believing God will hear your prayers. It's not a show. It's not, it's not to be out there in a place. And man, I, I, right now I could go and talk. I mean, I've seen so many times, especially. I remember in, I was in DeRitter and pastoring a church there. I'll never forget this one pastor. He didn't know I was a pastor. I was fairly new in the community. I was standing at the local Christian bookstore and, and this guy was going on. I'm the only church. We're the only ones. I'm the only pastor. Blah, 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 blah. And it was everything I could do. And if you know me, you know this was very difficult for me. It was everything I could do to, then just to call him down, you know. I wanted to, you know, God, let me be a prophet right now and, you know, call out fire and chastise. Because, because it, isn't, it isn't what you're doing. Mansfield Bible doesn't have a corner on the ministry in Mansfield, Texas. God is at work in his people. And we need to understand that. And we need to be a people about prayer. And we don't need to be, be making it out there to show that somehow we, have to, we can pray. We, we need to be praying in secret. We need to be in those times of prayer alone. And we need to be a people of faith, believing and trusting that God hears us. That our prayers are more about who he is than who I am. That my prayers are about faith and trusting God, looking to him, knowing that he is able to answer and Jesus goes on and then he talks in verse uh, uh, seven. He says, and when you pray, he brings up another example. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they have, they think that they will be heard for their many words. In other words, they would heap up empty phrases as kind of the idea. It's meaningless, it's vain. Well, you keep 
lifting all this meaningless, vain, empty stuff up, and what do you get? Babel. In fact, that's literally what that word means there, that, that idea of empty phrases. It's kind of just a babbling along. It doesn't mean that it is, we shouldn't be repeating the Lord's Prayer, but when we begin to repeat it so much that it has no value, if we don't understand the meaning and the purpose and it just becomes vain babble, then it doesn't mean anything. And dear people of God, when we pray, we're praying with hearts of faith. We're praying in independence of God. Those are some of those markers that we're gonna look at, like dependence and worship, kingdom prayers, and prayers of warfare. That we understand that these elements need to be a part of a praying life and a life that is dependent on him. Jesus says, when you pray, don't just throw up a bunch of vain, empty phrases, but in verse eight, he says, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And that word there, when he says, for your father knows what you, it's emphatic. The emphasis is in contrast to verse five and verse seven from those hypocrites and, and those Gentiles who were just babbling words thinking somehow that by their many words God would hear them or their many words that somehow God was gonna be manipulated into doing something. He's saying, you don't do that because your father knows what you need. Think about that. Your God already knows what you need. And so why do we pray? I mean, if, it, if it's just a prayer bringing things before God, that's like a shopping list. Here, God, this is what I need this week. Is that what your prayer's like? Think about it. If God were to answer all of your prayers for the last 30 days, would your world change or just your world? Just the, the fluence that you're in. It changes the way we pray. I, I, I'm, I'm tired of... I get this way, and I'll probably have some people talk to me afterwards, and that's fine, talk to me, but. <laughs> I'm tired of the political stuff. If you're not praying for our president, and you're not praying for our country, you're not praying for our leaders, I don't care which side you're on, if you're not praying, shut up. We need to be a people of prayer. We need to be praying for our community leaders. We need to be praying for our spiritual leaders. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be a people that are praying. We need to be a people of faith, believing and trusting that God knows what we need. That, that God is moved not by our multiple prayers or our, our great prayer list, but God is moved by our faith. That we trust him, that when we come before him, we don't necessarily know what's best for us. But we trust him to know what's best. And sometimes that's all, that doesn't seem to be easy. Sometimes we deal with things that we endure. And I'm not, I'm not always sure why. I've got plenty of those markers that I have in my life where I'm, I'm like, you know, one was when my van burned up in, in um, uh, Blackwell, Oklahoma. And I just got the van and the whole thing just burned and had all this other stuff. I'm like, God, I wanna really wanna know why did that van burn, you know? You know, why did I have to go through all that stuff? I mean, there's plenty of that. But you know what I know? Is I know the one who's gonna build this church, he's able. My faith is not in the dependence of my ability to know what I need or don't need. My faith is in the dependence of the one who I already know who knows. That's why the first marker has to be faith. If we're not people who pray in faith, trusting God, you know what we do? 
We quit praying. God isn't answering our prayers. Well, I prayed and God didn't do anything. You know what? Right over here. This little spot right here. I can remember pulling the elders together and it's been a few years back. Young girl was gonna have surgery the next day. I think she was eight or nine years old. She's gonna have surgery the next day. She had several holes in around her heart. Serious surgery. And I'll never forget, we prayed over her as elders and, and the next day she went into surgery and when the doctor went in, there was only one hole. I also remember that spot because I remember another man that we prayed for as elders in the church. We prayed over him. He had cancer. And the, the prognosis was not good. And we prayed and we prayed believing. And we also were involved in burying that man. So was one prayer effective and the other one not? Absolutely not. Both of them were prayers of faith. Both of them were prayers of trust. We were believing God knew what was best. We don't always know and understand the outcome of our prayers, but I know and I understand the almighty God who from everlasting to everlasting is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, full of majesty and glory, the one who spoke and it came into being and he measured our universe in the palm of his hand, the almighty, all-powerful God that he is full of grace. He is full of mercy. He is abundant in love and, and mercy towards us. In him I trust Amen. not the outcomes of the prayer. And dear people of God, we need to understand that. I know what the world says. I, I had quotes and I may even share them at some point where the world tells us, oh prayer, it means nothing. It's just like wishing. You just make a wish, it means nothing. Or, you know, the other one said, well, you resort to prayer when you you've, uh, quit having ideas on how to solve your problems. Or you, you start praying because you have no imagination, so what do you do? You pray. And you know what the fault of every one of those and multiple other ones that I read? You know what the fault was? Is they didn't understand the God that I serve. The God Almighty who sent his son into our world and his son was calling us to salvation. His son was calling us to redemption. His son was putting a spirit in us who by faith believed and trusted in him that his spirit would work through us. His spirit would use us for his glory and his purposes and the church will not fail. The church will advance because he's gonna advance and he is the almighty God and in him we trust. And dear people of God, we need to be a people of prayer. I believe we can impact our community. I believe we can be a different people when we pray. And don't allow spirit, the spirit as he convicts with truth. Don't let it turn into shame and guilt. See it as an opportunity that our almighty God is calling us to prayer, to encounter him in prayer, to cry out to him in prayer, a prayer of faith to trust him. That trust him. You see, dear people, God, if you don't pray in faith and you don't trust him with the answer, what's gonna start happening? You're gonna quit praying. When you quit praying, you know what happens? You die spiritually. You die spiritually. It's, it's, it's the only outcome. Prayer is everything. Let's pray. Father God, <clears throat> come before you even now. God, I just, I just... I just, I just thank you, Father, for today. I thank you for this time that I've been looking at prayer and I pray, God, that 
your spirit would use that study and that time and the convictions you put in my own heart that you might convict us, your people, that we might pray. Father, some may came this morning and, and maybe they're just, they're on the last rope of, of faith. I mean, doubt is grabbing them and pulling them down. And God, they just need to be reminded about who you are and to trust you. God, I pray you lift them up. I pray, Father, you encourage and strengthen the, the weak knees and the, the weak arms that they might stand in faith. Father, some may be coming in and, and they just realize, boy, Lord, I've just gotten so busy with life and kind of let prayer go to the side. And Father, let, them not, let not our adversary pull them down in guilt and shame, but Father, may your spirit build them up with encouragement, with confidence, a boundless joy that you are calling us to prayer, that God, in faith, when we come before you and we pray, that you're ready to act, that we would trust you. Father, I just, I, just, uh, I just pray, Father, as well, that your spirit would just move among us, your people, and you do as you please. In Jesus' name, amen.